0: Ready to go inside the rock and roll world of Machine Gun Kelly? The all-new Hulu documentary Machine Gun Kelly's Life in Pink gives you intimate and unfiltered access to Machine Gun Kelly's meteoric rise to stardom as he overcomes self-doubt and haters to bring his authentic vision of music to his fans. The Hulu documentary Machine Gun Kelly's Life in Pink is now streaming only on Hulu.
4: Music Buzz Podcast features candid discussions with and about those behind the scenes in the music business, including industry veterans representing the segments of musician, design, and live. All three Music Buzz Podcast hosts have spent their careers working with the biggest names in entertainment and have been and are still a fly on the wall. Dan Clark, as the drummer for John Mellencamp's band for over 20 years and various solo projects. Hugh Sign, a world-renowned graphic artist for the biggest names in music and the corporate world. Andy Wilson, an award-winning marketing and public relations executive with over 20 years of combined multi-level entertainment industry experience in the music and sports
3: business. Now let's buzz. Hello and welcome back to the Music Buzz podcast. I'm one of your co-hosts, Andy Wilson, along with Dane Clark. Hey, Dane. Hey, Andy. How are you doing today, sir? I'm good. And also Hugh Syme. Hey, Hugh. How's it going? Very well, thank you, Andrew. And you? I'm great. Thank you. Today we're joined by Robin Wilson, no relation to me. Robin's a lead singer, guitar player, also plays other instruments for the Jim Blossoms, one of the 90s' greatest hit-making bands, whose breakthrough album New Miserable Experience was released 30 years ago, which still blows my mind. He's the voice on many of the band's biggest hits and songwriter as well on songs such as Allison Road and High Wire, among others. Um, he's been a part of the uh, Gas Giants, Long Shadows, and others. And he's also stepped in and sang with the Smithereens as well in recent years. Uh, since, Damn, uh, Since yes. Pat passed away, yeah. The Jim Blossoms are an endearing melodic song uh, band. They've stood the test of time. I've seen them live and uh, hosted them many times myself. Dane and his band have opened for them as well. And so we're thrilled to welcome to the Music Buzz podcast, uh, Robin Wilson. Thanks for joining us.
0: Hi, everybody. Nice to see you. Robin, it's great to have you here, man. It's an honor. Thank you, Dane. Like Andy was saying, uh, the Dane Clark Band, we opened for you uh, a couple years ago in Fort Wayne at the Sweetwater Pavilion, an outdoor venue there. Mm -hmm. Okay. Cool place. And then a few years before that, outside in downtown Indianapolis before a Colts event of some kind. That's maybe seven or eight years ago. Yep. Okay. I stuck around and, and I heard you guys, man, and both times you guys sounded great.
2: Well, we try not to suck.
0: That's our corporate slogan. That's a good slogan. Yeah. It's a good baseline to shoot for. I've always thought you guys is like a rock and power pop band at its finest and I was especially impressed with your voice. Sounds just like it does on the records. Pitch is great and I love the fact that you guys play a lot of songs that have brisk tempos. Come on now. (laughs) You guys always kept my energy. Part of it was just the band sounded great, but the songs are energetic.
3: Totally. I was thinking about you guys too. It's like we, had, we actually talked to Kenny Jones yesterday from The Faces and The Who, and I made a comment about Eminence Front being an amazing song to listen to in the car. But I've always thought the Jim Blossom songs are the same. You know, it's just like yeah. there's something about your songs that just honestly probably get people speeding tickets, but there's something great, they're great in the car. That's great. <laughs> and great live, too.
0: Baby. Thank you all. Very humbling. Push that pedal down just a little bit further. That's right. Yeah,
5: Very good. I mean, it's all very upbeat and it's a little bit like Kodachrome, which is all about death, <laughs> basically mortality, even though it's a beautiful song by Paul Simon. But I look at your titles like Hey Jealousy and Found Out About You, which is all kind of a little bit like Phil Collins' Face Value, you know, a little bit of a personal experience coming through there, unless you write in the third person, I don't know. But all that upbeat music that is still having topics like Hey Jealousy and Found Out About You, I find really intriguing you obviously like contrast because uh, you know uh, congratulations sorry <laughs> which is a beautiful pairing new miserable experience you know it sounds like an upbeat kind of place in your life even though you're saying miserable so tell me a little bit about that tell me how you uh, can write so dark and so not morosely i mean the lyrics are definitely um about personal experience but then you keep it upbeat at the same time how's that work the name
2: itself, I think, uh, Jim Blossoms sort of sets the tone. You know, it, it sounds really pretty, but it represents something that's really quite ugly and disgusting. And perhaps that's where it all started. But, oh, uh, yeah. As a songwriter, um, I don't want to write corny songs. No, you don't. And so, you know, I tend to veer towards darker themes and whatnot, but it it comes naturally. It's not like any of us in the band ever sat down and decided this is what we're going to do. It just happened in, a, in an organic way. Mm. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of beauty in melancholy. I mean, uh,
5: there's so many bands that do it well. Pink Floyd have got a wonderfully melancholic, you know, sound. And sure.
2: They have- uh, the Smiths.
5: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, <Right>. definitely. <laughs> Absolutely.
0: Yeah. Yep. But what I liked about, found out about you guys, and I didn't really realize it, to be honest with you, until I dug kind of deep is how many different guys are writing the tunes and a lot of your tunes i i I didn't i didn't know who'd written what but i found out that most of my favorite ones i mean you know hey jealousy found out about you those are ones that we all know they're great tunes but a lot of the other ones that i really knew and liked the most were tunes that you had written or Mm co-written day job follow you down which are both rockers but then as long as it matters which is a slower tune That's one of my favorites, man. Those gorgeous background vocals. Fantastic Mm -hmm. on that song. Thank you. Really beautiful.
2: Thank you. Well, we we do try to, uh, you know, we care about songwriting. And uh, as I said, we don't really overthink it. We do. We just do what comes naturally to us, you know, inspired by our inspirations, uh, you know, our heroes. Uh, We stand upon the shoulders of giants and i certainly spend a lot of my time uh you know uh, trying to be tom petty or michael stipe you know and um
0: here's what i heard and it was actually kind of uncanny to me i'm a huge big star fan i discovered them when that first record came out when i was like 11 years old sweet and you sound like alex chilton in about 1972 it's uncannily big star-like mm. to me. Allison Road, especially. Oh, it's like, yeah. man,
2: that sounds like Alex could have done that. You know, that's fine company to be put in, and certainly Big Star had a had a pretty big mark on uh, on me as a as a songwriter and as a singer. You know, I mean, we were in the eighties. We were all listening to The Replacements. That that was sure. sort of our touchstone as a, as a rock band. That and as sense. a 20-year-old, yeah. you know, we were all listening to The Replacements. And so when Pleased to Meet Me was released, they had that fantastic song right at the top of the record. Alex Chilton. Alex Chilton. And so we all wanted to find out more about Big Star. And mm. so, uh, so right around uh, 87, uh, me and all my friends, we were all working in record stores and we were all aspiring rock and rollers. And so we all immediately got into Big Star, starting then, and um, obviously that you know those records are so incredible and no question uh, it had a, it had a huge impression on all of us. And then uh, a few years later, we we got signed to A and M Records. We were tasked with having to pick out a producer, and so we were we were throwing out names, you know, like Ed Stasium and Don Dixon, and you know guys like that, and then. Uh, John Hampton had already been working with our label, A&M Records, and they were working with another band on A&M called Tora Tora. And John remixed one of our songs for a movie soundtrack or a compilation. And so we were looking for a producer and we're sort of, you know, we're talking about these different guys. But then yeah. when uh, our guitar player, Jesse, said to me, John Hampton is one of the candidates. He did the, he remixed one of the tunes and he's the guy who recorded uh, please to meet me. And he also did the Tommy Keane record uh, based on happy times. And this is the studio where big star recorded all of their albums. And I was oh, like, it. Oh, cool. That's the dot. I'm like, uh, "That that's what we need to do. There's no, We don't need to look any further. As soon as that that trifecta of connections was made, uh, that John had worked with the replacements and Tommy Keene, and this was the home of Big Star, I'm like, that's where we need to go. That's what we should be a part of. And uh, so we've made, uh, since then, we've made four records at Ardent, and the place has become a big part of our lives. John Hampton became a, a very central figure in our lives and to participate in that legacy of music uh, is, is just an immense source of pride for me. That's awesome. awesome. That's great.
0: Yeah. Did you meet John Fry ever when he was still living?
2: Oh, sure. Yeah. Wow. A bunch of times. You know, I, I probably spent almost a total of uh, probably at least eight months of my life recording uh, records at Ardent. Wow, you know it, it's such a huge place in my brain, and uh, it was inspiration for me to build my own studio, which John Hampton helped me flesh out and helped me pick the gear for. And I had John come out to Phoenix, uh, or actually Tempe, and we, we. You mentioned that I was in a band called Gas Giants. John recorded, uh, we did the basic tracks at my studio in Tempe with John Hampton, and then we went back to Memphis, and we spent about another three weeks doing overdubs and and mixing at Ardent, and uh, as I say, it, it just a, such a huge, looming presence in my life, uh, John Hampton, John Fry, Jody Stevens, uh, memphis tennessee um, Arden studios it's uh you know it's a very important part of my lifetime i felt like i could feel something like that when i was listening to that music that's man. cool it's, mm-hmm. it's
0: weird how that that stuff can come across sometimes you know
5: yeah i'm always curious with singers if you started off wanting voice as your your way of expressing yourself or if you started off on
2: piano or guitar i started out uh, wanting to be a rock singer when i was eight years old Uh, We used to stay up on Friday nights to see the midnight special and uh, the Bohemian Rhapsody video by Queen debuted uh, in the United States on midnight special. And that was that was the moment in my life where everything changed. And I knew then at the age of eight years old in the third grade, that is what I want to do. I want to be a rock singer. And I have been on this this path ever since. And so to commemorate that, I have the opening line of Bohemian Rhapsody uh, <laughs> tattoos here. Uh, nice. On my arms. Most of my tattoos are lyrics, but that was really the first one I got. And, you know, it was, that was the moment where everything changed for me. And I started down this path and, you know, went from Queen I, and then I was listening to Kiss and then in high school, uh, went through a country phase when Urban Cowboy yeah. came oh, out, sure. me and my friends all started. We started chewing tobacco and listening to country music. So I went through a, <laughs> a really great country phase. And then, you know, then I went all new wave. And, you know, I was listening to, you know, Oingo Boingo and Duran Duran and, uh, yeah. you know, Depeche Mode. And then as uh when I was 19 years old, I got a job at Tower Records mm. in Tempe okay. and, you're you're exposed to so much music when you're working at a record store, especially it, in that in those days in the mm-hmm. in the '80s, and there was so much exciting music happening in in those days, and sure. uh, you know, so it was you know began to really uh, listen to things like REM and the Replacements and the uh, the Smiths and the Smithereens. And, uh, you know, then again, there was just so much incredible music happening. The alternative revolution begins with groups like uh, the Pixies and Jane's Addiction and just such a fun, exciting time. But, you know, through all of that, I was mostly drawn to like straight ahead power pop, like Cheap Trick Mm -hmm. and Tommy Keane and Tom Petty you know those that that's always sort of been the the core foundation of of my musical taste and sure I've, I've spent a lot of time listening to metal and new wave and jazz and whatnot but you know the core of what I do you could probably trace it back to yeah Cheap Trick and Tom Petty. When you write music and or you co-write music
5: obviously your contribution is probably melody and and where the song's heading melodically speaking do you ever sit down, though, when you're writing your own music for yourself on any instrument?
2: Have you got that under your belt? Sure. Well, I play guitar and, okay. uh, you know, I, and I, did, I play a little bit of drums. Usually I have ideas for a lyric or a title. Yeah. And I keep a notebook of lyrical ideas. And then oftentimes there'll be a moment where the melody and the lyric just sort of combine in my brain yeah and often it's difficult for me to translate what's in my brain to the physical world and to really find those chords i could hear the melody in my head but i can't always like work out what it is on a guitar and so uh other times i'll be i'll be playing the guitar and i'll i'll come up with a melody and then i'll go through my book of ideas and see if something kind of jumps into place and finds its its way into that, that melody. And then, of course, you know, when I collaborate with other people, more often than not, I'm presented with an idea that's already sort of worked out. I see. A melody and a title has already been put together. Songs like As Long As It Matters and Follow You Down are very good examples of that, where I'm it's my job to complete somebody else's mm, sure c- yeah construction and so that's a whole different ball game yeah yeah it is uh, uh but i i've been very successful at that uh till i hear it from you is another good example where i was presented the, the chords were already done the chorus was already written and I had to work backwards to to tell the story of what the chorus was trying to say. Sure. Yeah. And um, I think uh, yeah, that that's a good example of where I think I did a pretty good job of completing somebody else's thought.
5: Hmm, sure. Who do you read and who do you listen to that inspires you to... Or, or gives you the, the confidence? Because I find it really intimidating to write lyrics just because there are so many people that do it well. Who do you listen to that have inspired you lyrically?
2: Well, certainly Tom Petty and Rick Nielsen are probably at the top of the lyricists that uh, I aspire to. But uh, other good examples would be uh, Jim Carroll. Uh, mm-hmm. I think uh, mm. Jim Carroll probably wrote, you know, didn't make a lot of records, but probably wrote some of the best ever lyrics. And then uh, another good example of of one of my favorite songwriters would be Rick Ocasek of the Cars. Oh yeah. oh yeah. Yeah, no
0: question. And
2: what he does, you know, it's lyrically it's it's gibberish. It really is. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but it makes you it makes you feel something very very specific. And you I I always get what he's going for regardless of whether or not it makes any sense. Uh, Michael Stipe is another good example of that. You can barely understand him. The the, the lyrics are, are are gibberish and incoherent, but yeah. but you you are locked into the emotions that he wants you to feel. And so that's always been sort of my touchstone as a lyricist is that it it doesn't necessarily have to make sense. It just needs to make you feel. Yeah. where where I'm trying to get you emotionally. And, you know, that's, that's always sort of been my touchstone. Rick, Rick Ocasek really is such a great example of that.
0: Look at John Lennon come together, Mm -hmm. you know? Oh yeah. Yeah. That's all gibberish. I am the walrus. Simolina Belchard. Yeah. He was a master at it. Yeah.
3: Well, I think too, to, to that point, you know, I was really first introduced to you guys when I was uh, working radio, you know, 30 years ago when, when new miserable was really starting to hit and the, the thing that was interesting at the time is, you know, that was when alternative music and grunge and all that stuff was really, you know, going mainstream. And you guys were were certainly not your sound wasn't uh, grunge, but somehow, some way, you kind of get thrown into that whole '90s music revolution, really. But the songs, not all those band songs have stood the test of time. You know what I mean? And some of them were better than others, and some of them have, but. Looking back on that, you know, it, it's interesting to hear you say the replacements and the cars because they all that all makes sense. But during that time, was it kind of tough for you guys to kind of find, you know, your place amongst that everything else that was going on? I mean, obviously you succeeded, but was that kind of a almost kind of a strange place to start in a, in a way, right? I mean, it seemed like. Well, yeah, it,
2: it was timing, really. You know, because what was what was really happening at the time. Was uh, was not only grunge, but things like uh, Smashing Pumpkins, um, you mm-hmm. know. So, to, to most of what was happening uh, in the early '90s on the radio was was a little harder edged than right. what we were doing. Yeah. And uh, but we we never succumbed. We, we we never chased after trends. We just always followed our own instincts. Right. That,
3: that's kind of what I mean it was interesting because in hindsight, I remember the same people that listened to Nine Inch Nails, Marilyn Manson, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, they also listened to the Gin Blossoms. And I remember thinking, it's just kind of interesting because you guys, you guys were just so different, but it was interesting how your appeal reached everybody. <laughs> and, and more so than where the, a lot of those guys, as great as they were, you know, they weren't necessarily appealing to as wide of a, a, wide of a, a range of, of people. And then a lot of ways. sure, I'll go
2: back again to Tom Petty and Cheap Trick mm-hmm. as uh, sort of uh, the foundations of our inspiration. And, and maybe if what we're doing is swimming in those bands' wake, then uh, it, it makes sense that we would have a broad appeal. Your music didn't carry with it the
5: same kind of angst and and well, grunges by its very nature, kind of brooding your stuff as I was saying at the top of our conversation is, is really up in the sense that it's, it's inspiring. It's hopeful that, it, you know, despite the lyrics being interestingly melancholy, sometimes by contrast, there's no shame in having a great, whether it's the Beatles or the people we're talking about having a, a good pop a successful and well-structured and well-crafted pop element to what you do. And you guys have that. And well-produced
0: and well-performed. Yeah. The tracks are always great.
3: We always like to talk about uh, album artwork and I'll let Hugh drive the ship on this one, but I got to ask a question. So w- before we talk to you, I was just doing some Google stuff on on you and looking at your your history and everything. And I noticed a picture of you in an Iron Maiden t-shirt. <laughs> so, are you an Iron Maiden fan cuz Hugh did one of their album covers, so I got to ask you. Yes, if you're a Maiden fan.
2: I'm a huge Maiden fan. Okay. Of, okay. Of- uh, yeah, but Power Slave is probably in my top 10 all-time favorite records. It's one of the most listenable and consistent albums of of all time, from beginning to end. Power Slave is uh, is one of my favorites. And uh, yeah, I just I love that band. I recently discovered on YouTube an uh, Iron Maiden concert from like 1984 or 85 or whatever, and it's just just so incredible and it's just Mm -hmm. so impressive to see a band uh performing at that level of Mm -hmm. uh, of uh skill it's you know i mean what we do is pretty good and you know yeah there's guitars and there's everybody's everybody's playing an instrument and we're all cooperating to create a sound but you, you watch an iron maiden concert and you just see people operating uh, at, at such an incredibly high skill level mm-hmm. and uh, the the level of energy plus the
3: lead singer flies flies the plane to the to the gig so i mean that's something you need to aspire to too i think it needs to be a jim blossom Absol- plane
2: absolutely uh the closest i come is you know <laughs> I, I ride a skateboard uh you know so uh <laughs> but yes, Iron Maiden uh, is one of my one of my all-time favorite bands. Which which album cover is it that you did, Hugh? Well that's the uh well see irony. I won't
5: say misfortune, but when Gene approached me to do the revenge cover for Kiss, I thought, oh it's lovely to be working with that that band. But that they took their makeup off, I knew instinctively wasn't probably a great idea. It was a good album. It was a fabulous album. But it was the one album where the fans said, "What the fuck? You know why? Why are you not <laughs> wearing makeup?" And in the same way that yeah. Megadeth was so similarly dependent on or, or reliant on the the fan base's a- approval of their covers being illustrated, whether it was Eddie or Vic Rattlehead, uh, Megadeth decided that they would just want to go a different direction. And again, I thought, "Well, this is it's a big crapshoot," but. They were successful when we did Euthanasia and Countdown to Extinction and those covers. When we did those covers, it worked for them. People weren't, there was no outcry, well, where's Vic Rattlehead, you know, why, why isn't Vic featured on the cover? So Maiden came to me and they were they they disclosed the fact that they wanted to kind of do a more grown up approach. And some people loved it and some people really, there was an outcry that, you know, it was a travesty that it wasn't another Derek illustration, you know. so. I get that and i I understand and i appreciate when a band becomes defensive and protective of their art director as did rush for 46 years um yeah
2: uh it was that cover it was the x factor cover that's great well I, i have a great deal of respect for that aspect of your career i've you know the the covers have always been a very important to me i haven't always had a hand in them but when, whenever I do, I like to have control over that. And it, it's, uh, it's one of the more rewarding aspects of my work is collaborating with artists on the album cover.
5: That's one of the questions I always like to ask is how involved do artists, you know, some artists don't care. Do they, you know, that, and some bands are just by their very nature, they're attractive. They want to be on the cover. So it's always about, the personality being on the cover. Whereas mm-hmm. you guys have got, you've got a little zany Jetson vibe going on with mixed reality. Yeah. You've got a really, you know, very fifties kind of feel. And you've also got that outside looking in cover, really a lovely study and focus. And then the back cover, I can't quite tell what that is, but I love, I love the intriguing piles of enigmatic junk, you know, Yeah, lit the way that was. I think that's a
2: beautiful, beautiful cover. Cool. thank you. Uh, that, well, that one actually was done without our knowledge. The record company put together a, a greatest hits compilation and we didn't even know it was coming out and all of a sudden it, it was out and that was cover. and I was kind of pissed off about it. like you know what right did these people have? to release Jim Blossom's record without even consulting us about the cover. But I think it, it worked. Sometimes it's a happy accident. I suppose. Yeah. Uh, with Mixed Reality, I'm glad you brought that one up because that cover is my pride and joy. It's cool. And it's cool. I, I I worked very closely with the art team on that. Mitch O'Connell is a, is a fantastic artist. He designed this tattoo for me, this crowned phoenix and uh he also designed a jim blossom's t-shirt and uh, when it when it came time to do the cover for mixed reality i i had the idea i already had the name and i had the idea that it should be like a, a tin can full of some unknowable substance or a box of cereal called mixed reality or i didn't really know what what it was but i wanted it to look like a package and so I called Mitch and I'm like, "Do you know a graphic artist that I can work with?" And he turned us on uh, to Joseph, who did the uh, did all the graphics. And in discussing it with Mitch, I said, "You know what? Maybe we need is some sort of a character for the for the packaging. You know, some some cross between the the Tricks Rabbit and uh, <laughs> you know yeah. the Lucky Charms guy or something like that." And uh, so, uh, you know, Mitch and I uh, had a short discussion about that. He went off and designed that little UFO girl. And it, Mitch, he always adds a little something special. Like with my Phoenix tattoo, he put a crown on it. Um, and with the uh, with the character from Mixed Reality, whose name, by the way, is Eddie. Uh, if you're going to put a character on an album cover you have to name it eddie right. eddie's, and so, good. eddie's good eddie's yeah, good eddie yeah. so uh in uh, for the mixed reality cover uh mitch gave eddie our eddie a uh, a little uh a little phonograph and some 45s that she's holding and that that, nice. that helps give it the, that retro feel that we were going for and uh, you know, in working with Mitch and Joseph on that cover, you know, I kept saying, "Well, what should it? What should the product inside this box be? Is it is it cereal or is it mixed nuts or whatever?" And th- those two, jo- Joseph and and Mitch, decided it should just be some kind of MacGuffin. We don't really need to yeah, know yeah, yeah. what's mm. what's in the package, right? Um, so.
5: The ingredients are listed, though. Heartache, compromises. You know, it's pretty cool that they're there. I'm intrigued with the fact that it covers those. I I love that era of, first of all, I'm I'm almost embarrassed to admit, but, you know, having been a fan of Bewitched and and Jetsons when I was younger, you know, this covers Hey, I was too, man. Come on. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. Yeah.
2: It's a great cover. I love it. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Well, it was it was such a pleasure uh, putting it together. And again, you know, that's an aspect of my career that I've enjoyed so much, the opportunity to collaborate with uh, with real artists. And, you know, I was always drawn to art. I was I've always been into graphic arts. And in in another life or an alternate universe, I probably am, am an artist of some type, probably a graphic artist. So I, I really enjoy that, that process of, of collaborating with someone where you, you have the core of an idea and you get someone who's really talented to help you flesh it out. And they always bring something uh, special uh, to, to the process and bring, give you something that you didn't know it needed. And, uh, you know, you get also it's really important when you're working with people at, at that talent level to eventually realize there's a moment where you have to just stop interfering and let them sort of finish it for you.
5: Let them do what they do, yeah. My kind of client, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) I I go at it a couple of ways. I mean, there's collaboration, but I also had a habit of disappearing for six weeks and then coming back with the finished product. As As a record store employee and as someone coming up in your own experience as a younger person and maybe even to this day how influenced were you by covers how intrigued were you with the artwork on covers
2: before you even heard the music well um, always uh, you know i mean i suppose it started you know pretty early you know things like billion dollar babies <laughs> right uh, was such a such a great album cover and you're just you're drawn to it and you can see oh yeah, this is, this is supposed to kind of be a wallet, um, you know I mean? From, you can hold it back and it's just sort of an abstract piece of graphic art, but, you know, then you realize, oh, this is, this is supposed to be something else. And then of course, you know, just like staring at those, those KISS album covers, you know, Destroyer yeah. and Love Gun, just mm-hmm. like, just so, uh, just sucked into that, fantasy world that those those bands were creating and are you a floyd fan i yes yes they were they were never like my my brother always had floyd records and so they were always around and i was always listening to them but i i never had to go buy them and i was i was more listening to queen than i was yeah. uh <laughs> floyd but you know of course they're they're in the mix for sure and those covers you know of course the wall uh, animals, you know, those are, those, are, those yeah. are such intriguing, uh, ideas and they're, they're just sort of, especially like animals, it's just so confusing right. and, uh, just, a, just a lovely piece of uh, abstraction and, you know, kind of moving on in, in my working at the record stores, you know, covers from bands like R.E.M. really mm-hmm. made, uh, an impression and, now, looking back, I feel like they weren't really trying that hard, you know, uh, when, it, when it came to the covers. But Sometimes that's the beauty. I mean, whether it's
5: the Who live at Leeds or the Cheeky, and only the Beatles could have gotten away with the White Album. But sometimes the humbling truth for someone like me is that there's a point at which you say, fuck art and let's dance. know, so the music is what needs to matter. But yeah. there's nothing wrong with packaging music effectively. And, of course... I have a great deal of fun doing it but I'd like to think it's not a necessary qu- quotient or, or contributor to the fact that good
2: music stands on its own. I, I would agree the work, when we got signed to a and m they they absolutely insisted that we put a photograph of the band on the external packaging and I was like, I don't, I don't really want that I'd rather have it be something more abstract I don't think we need a picture and they a the product manager we were working with at the time, was, was adamant. You've got to have a picture of the band on the cover. And I think that's complete uh, bullshit. You do not need a picture of the band on the cover. In the end, it's not too important what the cover is. It always comes down to the songs.
3: Hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yep. Absolutely. So I got some questions on the live side. So as a fan, and obviously you're a big fan of music, judging by the tattoos, what was the first show that you went to as a fan? that you were like excited about.
2: I, I love being able to say this. My first concert ever was in 1977. I saw cheap trick open for kiss on the love gun tour.
3: Awesome! And nice.
2: so that was, that was the, that was the first concert I ever saw. Wow. And then, um, uh, uh, you know, then uh, like my dad took me to see the beach boys sometime around then. Uh my mom took me to see Jimmy Buffett sometime in that era. But then the next concert I actually bought tickets for myself uh, was queen uh, on the, on the jazz tour and the mm-hmm. blasters were the opening act uh, for, for that show. Yeah. Where, and, where were these shows at? Uh, in, in Phoenix, uh, the queen show was at Compton Terrace, uh, kiss and cheap trick. That was, Veterans Memorial Coliseum, you know, and so you, you grow up in Phoenix, you're listening to the radio and you hear that coming to Veterans Memorial Coliseum, you know, <laughs> it's triumph or whatever. And um, there was a moment where, you know, we had been out on tour and everything took off for us. And I came home to Phoenix and I'm in my car and I turn on the radio and it's like coming to veterans memorial coliseum june blossoms and i was like oh, oh holy, holy
5: <laughs> shit. Just,
2: what a what a full circle moment you know yeah, to yeah. to have that's that that's great and, man you know it's really special i saw so many great concerts at that venue um one of my favorites ever uh deaf leopard um mm-hmm. and they were actually this sure. they were the support act for billy squire on that no, tour dear. But everyone was there to see Def Leppard Yeah And um, this was right when Photograph was uh, the number one song in America and They were really taking off Uh, Pyromania, such a great record And, uh, you know, I was there plenty early Because I wanted to be on the floor right next to the stage for that Def Leppard show And, uh, you know, then certainly working at Tower Records We get free tickets to concerts all the time So... You know, I saw a lot of arena shows in the, in the 80s, so ZZ Top, uh, Scorpions with Aerosmith, and Autograph, uh, ACDC, uh, saw, I saw Ingbe Malmsteen open for ACDC. Uh, that was one of my one of my favorites. Uh buddy of mine. We, we 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 got tickets. We went to see the new kids on the block. you know, it's mm-hmm. like, oh, oh, <laughs> wow. We just wanted to be at concerts all the time. That's all you know, I tell my son, that's all we did, you know, between the ages of like eighteen and twenty two. It was just there was just so much music in my world. I was working at the record store. I was writing songs in my bedroom and doing open mic nights. Going to see local bands, going to concerts constantly, and you know club shows. You know, every once in a while, you'd see, uh, you know, like Jonathan Richmond is coming to the Mason Jar. Like, oh, I, got, I gotta, I gotta yeah. be there for yeah. that. You know, uh, I saw Los Lobos on their on their first U.S. tour and um you know, it was just music 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 that's all that's all i did you know and at the same time i was in college and i was studying physics at the time and i i i didn't know if i would ever become a real musician i had never been in a band at this point so i was uh i was headed towards a life in science but you know outside of my schoolwork it was just all music all the time and um you know, all that pays off when all of a sudden you actually find yourself in a band and you need to, you know, draw from your your own influences and tastes to, uh, to present your band. And I was just really fortunate that I had this huge mishmash of uh, influences and uh, records in my collection. And I was, uh, you know, again, I've always kind of steered towards the cheap trick uh power pop kind of avenue but you know being able to to know in the back of my head oh this is kind of like an Iron Maiden bridge or you could you could take uh, some of their concepts for how they arrange their songs and apply sure. it to what you're doing uh, for intros and bridges and uh, endings and things like that it was it's it was always great to turn uh, you know, to your influences and say, oh, we'll just, we'll take this bridge that Tom Petty did and that'll be the intro for our song or whatever. And, uh, you know, that kind of thing, uh, that, that really works, you know?
0: Yeah. Well, it, yeah. it gives you a, it gives you a deeper well to, to dip yeah. out of to, for your own stuff. I Absolutely. mean, plus watching those shows, you can see, you know, how pacing works during a show, you know, yeah. and all that yeah. kind of stuff too. So, yes it yeah is.
3: it's refreshing to hear you say that too because i think a lot of you know a lot of people that are in the music are pretty pretty much snobs uh, for the most part especially guys that work in record stores i mean let's face it but it's refreshing to hear you say that about like new kids and stuff i've always said like there's something great about just going and experiencing live entertainment you know it's something like i think about this one tour uh we did with uh, ricky martin and i'm not particularly listening to that kind of music personally but I'll never forget how awesome the beginning of the show was. There was a full car on stage, bands going crazy, and the the, the hood of the car slowly starts to lift open, and then slowly Ricky just pops up, you know, oh, on the ground in the car. And the I'm chicks like, were Fressed. screaming. Oh yep. man, I was like, wow. I bet they were. I yeah, bet I mean, they I was, were going cuckoo. Yeah, man.
0: But, I
2: had that idea yeah. actually back when I was a kid, and I was dreaming about being in a band. I had this fantasy that the band would drive into the coliseum each guy had their own custom van and we would rise out of the top of our custom vans wow, there you go. um and that <laughs> was always, too late that was always my my fantasy and so to this day our our guitar player jesse uh he's he's got a little joke when we're, when we're heading to the stage he doesn't say it all the time but every once in a while he'll say all right let's storm the stage in custom vans. Yeah. You know? and, yeah. Uh, <laughs> great. and it's great. It. It's great that, you know, my you know, when I told him that story, you know, thirty-two years ago or whatever, mm-hmm. that that it it stuck, you know, with him. And uh you know you could always fly in on the rocket ship from mixed reality. And just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> love that. Yeah. Sure. Uh yeah. I used to sometimes like uh when we were out on, on a package tour or something, I'd have my skateboard and I would if I would be tasked with introducing one of the other bands, I would ride my skateboard uh, out onto the stage. So that's about as close as I ever can. It's
3: as close as you got to the van. Yeah, that's cool though. <laughs> <Yeah. clears throat> well, awesome. We don't want to take up any more of your time. We really appreciate you giving us some time. Yeah, we walk- do. <laughs> <laughs> walking down the uh, memory lane with you for sure.
2: Well, it's been, it's been a lot of fun. You know, I enjoy, I enjoy talking uh, with me too, with other rock fans about all these things. I've got one question. Do you guys have a new project in the works? A big question. Um, no, nothing's scheduled. You know, we're starting to put together songs and I've told the band I'd like to have a plan. By the end of this year, I want to know when we're making our next record. I've already got a cool. few songs in the can. I will be making a record at some point uh, in the next year with the Smithereens. And so oh, cool. uh, most of my songwriting nice. energies are kind of directed towards that. I've been uh, co-writing some songs with Jim Babjack lead guitar of the Smithereens and mm-hmm. he's a he's a fantastic songwriter he really is and uh, uh Denisio had a pretty heavy hand and so Jim didn't get a lot of songs on Smithereens records so uh he's he's raring to go and ready to spread his wings and he's as as someone that i can collaborate with it's That's really great. a joy to work with him. he's presented me with some really cool ideas he's already got the chords and the and the song titles worked out in some cases entire courses and you know again it falls to me to help like flesh out the story that he's he's trying to tell sure yeah and so uh i'm i'm looking forward to uh, to that I, I you know again as a as a fan uh, there's no way to describe the amount of joy i have uh being a part of the smithereens now yeah. and storming the stage with that band uh it's just it's just so great it's just such a thrill um, i know the music so well and the guys, the Smithereens are such great guys. They're, they just have such uh, true blue rock and roll hearts, really spirited performances. And it's fun to be a part of a band that uh, has this incredible catalog of music. And we go out and we do this show that has all this legacy and whatnot, but I'm not carrying around any of the baggage that right. these poor fuckers are carrying around you know it's uh, been a bloody time yeah. 40 years of the smithereens. and you know there's a weariness uh to sure. them and cuz they've they've been through it all and it's just it's always been a battle for them and i get to show up and just go hey You, you get know, to sing the songs and have a I good time i get to bounce yeah. around and it's yeah. just you know i and i and i see in their eyes you know that just all the all the bloody battles they had to fight to keep the band together and to to get to this point and for me it's just like uh pour pour a bourbon and let's fucking rock guys you know it's there's no i don't have to carry any of the weight but i get to participate in all of the satisfying aspects of uh, performing with with a group that has that legacy and such a solid catalog of of music it's just an absolute joy That's so awesome. i will be playing with them soon in new york city at sony hall both marshall crenshaw and wow. i will mm-hmm. be there f- fronting the band uh, for this for this show.
3: We talked to Marshall about uh two months ago.
2: Yeah, he gets most of the gigs because the Jim Lawson's keep getting in the way of my fucking side project. It's very <laughs> aggravating.
3: <laughs> Damn it. That's a good place to be in <laughs> though, you know, it's like that's yeah. that's an okay it's place not, to be. Not a bad place to be.
2: Yeah. Not awesome. not at all bad. I'm I'm very grateful, very proud. I'm fifty-six years old now. I've wanted to be a rock singer since that night in the third grade, eight years old when I saw Queen on the Midnight Special. And so, for it to pay off, uh, you know, just to have been able to follow that path and just stay uh, stay true to uh, you know to my own journey, and for it to pay off like this is just immensely satisfying, and I'm I'm just so grateful. And, uh, you know, I, I just want to keep doing it as, as long as I can, you know Well, you've put the work in, man, so you deserve it Thank you
0: Congrats so God bless For you sure. Thank you very keep much Keep rocking, man Thank
2: you Well, I just want to yeah. show off a couple of my tattoos here Yeah, uh, please this, my do My Stones tattoo It says, uh, War Children, It's Just a Shot Away Nice Here nice. is uh, the the cult, She Sells Sanctuary right. And nice. over here is, this is a Meat Puppets quote uh, This is Paradise uh, right here, the waiting is the, the hardest,
0: hardest
2: part. part. Right? Uh, yeah, surrender, but don't give yourself away. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. and this, by the way, is the signature of Chrissy Hines. We did a show, a couple of shows with Nice, the sure, yeah. and I got her to sign my arm, one of the greatest singers of all time, and uh, went straight to a tattoo parlor the next day and, and had that in there. So uh, Very nice. You know, just, I got a blood and roses uh, tattoo here when I started working with the smithereens, smithereens. Yeah. and then back here, uh, uh, David Bowie. It's kind of hard to read because it's just such a beautiful piece but it's uh, turn and face the strange changes turn and face the strange changes uh, one of nice. one of the great lyrics of, of all time and my personal divorce mantra uh, okay. that uh, I uh, <laughs> that I had to uh, embrace while I was in the gloom of all of that but uh, yeah. I, this is definitely one of the one of the best ones I have turn and that's face great. the strange changes that's awesome you know it's just it's all it's all right there this is who I am and this uh, this is the the most important aspect of my life is, has been uh, rock and roll music, and uh, I'm very lucky to, to do what I do. And you do it so well. Yeah. yeah. Keep doing it, man. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you, Jen. Yeah.
3: Best wishes. We'll see you down the road. Take care. Alright, guys. This has been a great time hanging out with you.
2: Uh, peace and love, everybody. Rock away. See you. Take yeah. care. Cheers, Robin. Bye, I love see you, man.
0: Dream Stealing
1: Wine has always come with a set of formal rules, like you should only drink it from a fancy glass and always sniff before you sip. But Whitbridge is a California wine with only one rule. Enjoy it however, whenever, and wherever you want. Cabernet over ice, Chardonnay in a coffee mug, go for it add natural fruit flavors to premium bubbly yes please so buy yourself a bottle at orderwoodbridge.com and wine your way please enjoy responsibly copyright 2022 woodbridge winery acampo california maryland sports fans there's only one sports book in the great state of maryland with over 50 years experience booking bets and supporting customers Fred sportsbook at long shots is now open and is the only sportsbook in frederick offering cash betting on football basketball world soccer and more visit the